Welcome back to Open House with Mark Seawick and Corey James Moran, brought to you by the Mark Seawick team at Keller Williams Realty, a Greater Rochester Real Estate Podcast. Welcome to episode 32. We have another guest with us. We'll get to here in a moment. Okay. First, I just want to dive right in, and this is get that this get that out of the way. Pull the bandaid off. Whoa, Let's oh. get the market update. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. I just want to get you past just, it. Like n- no just, pleasantries, nothing. No, no, no merry Christmas. Okay, this is. We'll get to that stuff. Oh, okay, go. I don't for want it. it to sour me. Oh, all right. So we're gonna get it out of the way. All right. Um, Monroe County. Any mm-hmm. guesses, Mark? Uh, last week it was 332. R- right. Yep. Uh, active listings. Well, let me see. Well, it's, it's been a, a so let's let's go with 298. 305. Okay. Okay. Pretty there close. we go. Pretty there good. We go. Yep. Six County Region was 636, 594. So, uh, as you mentioned, we are heading into the holiday. Christmas is on Saturday. But, but, I, but, I, but I'm, sure, I'm sure that you know tomorrow, um, Friday and Saturday this week, Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. Christmas Day, six. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll just be an explosion <laughs> of new of new properties coming on the market. You know, it's it's going to be interesting to see because we have been saying throughout that we're anticipating that things pick up traditionally end of January, beginning of yep, February. Yep. Will we see anything happening earlier? Well, well, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm glad to say, get ready because mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm just gonna like tee this up for you. Okay, okay yeah. All right. Yeah. So you ready? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I don't know the answer to the question, but we happen to have a guest today who is probably going to have a really I, I, honestly, I've known Jay for a long, long while. Um and of the thirty one hundred agents who sell in the six county region, Jay is probably the most intelligent, most analytical. I wow. mean like this guy knows wow. certainly honestly, this guy knows numbers and trends unlike anybody. So I'm very, very, very excited. But before before we go any further, yes. I, I got to get one thing out of the way on my oh, end. Okay. All right. You, you ready? Ready. St. Peter Canisius? Pray for us. Oh, okay. Okay. There we go. I, 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 I <laughs> had to do it. Jay, you want to go ahead and explain? And, 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 and then we'll go and ahead and introduce you. And then you get intro. You. We yes. do things differently here. <laughs> right. So uh, thanks, Mark. No, absolutely. I'm excited to be here. And uh, to your just... Uh, uh, St. Peter Canisius, pray for us. Mark and I know each other a long time. We did not know each other at the time when St. Peter Canisius was praying for us. <laughs> However, let's just suffice it to say that Mark was educated a couple years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. I'll leave yeah, it at that. Yeah, a, a few decades, uh, but, but you know, not, a, not a long time. At, at Canisius High School in Buffalo. And yeah, it was a great education. It was it was just an awesome, and to this day, I think we both still benefit from well, you guys uh, four are years. You're doing okay. 100%. Yeah, yeah. You're doing all right. 100%. No, no, I, yeah, I hated every minute of my... <laughs> no, I really did. I hated every minute that it was, is it a, that it was a Canisius High School. I would go back there again wow. in a minute. Look the education that. was right. just... It, does, it doesn't settle in until years after, but sure. the benefits yes. are yeah. long-lasting. Is Absolutely. that PTSD? How does that work exactly? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Probably that. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, so, so um, now's your opportunity to actually introduce the guest that I've been speaking to for the past three minutes. He's a man of many titles. He's a real estate broker. He's an agent consultant and president of ZSG Analytics. Jay Teresi joins us. Jay, thank you. Right. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> so let's just dive right in here. Mark's uh, gave you a, a lovely warm-up at the end of the last podcast saying that you go about things very differently when it comes to the analytics, obviously. Can you dive into just your background a little bit, other than, of course, where you went to to high school. Yeah, sure. In the process. It, it, actually, and I, the way I kind of frame it is, I kind of look at things from a macro level at, in a way that agents don't have the time or inclination mm-hmm. to do, while, especially while they're in the, the depths of a busy market. Okay. So uh, I've always been a believer that anything you can measure, you can manage. So looking at the numbers in a different way and how those things will impact the market up to where we are and where we're going tends to give me a better... 
uh, I guess, consulting advantage to help people sure. I'm talking to. So uh, if we want to talk about this market or 2021, I'm happy to start wherever you want or go in whatever direction you well, want to go. Well, let's start with 2021. Let's kind of get that set first. Be before yeah. we even go there, I'm, I'm, I I don't know the answer to this, but hmm. everybody has a particular skill set. Um, you, one of yours is really an understanding of numbers and trends and graphs. And where, where does that come from? Is, is that just intuitive? Um, is that an innate talent? Is it education? It's education, economics background, started on Wall oh. Street. You know, that would help. So, okay. <laughs> okay, there we go. So following right. those trends. That, 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 that's why you just landed here in, in your chopper? Is, is that, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And, and also, you know, following some of those economic um Theories, if you will. So whether it's linear regression, whether it's the efficiency of markets. Oh, we're, we're in over. I know. Linear regression. Get ready. So what oh, I do is I, I consider myself a translator <laughs> of that information into things that everyone can understand from, mm -hmm. from the agent perspective, from the, the buyer and seller perspective. But taking those economic fundamentals and applying them to a market helps me look backwards and forwards with some more certainty. Okay. Well, let's start with a little year in review then of 2021. Okay. Uh, you're not allowed to use the words unprecedented or crazy. Ready, set, go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the way I've been defining 2020 and 2021 is perception versus reality. Mm, okay. Hmm. So, and what I mean by that is looking at the numbers, if you look at where we are year to date in 2021 in total closed units, sales, single family homes, townhouse, condo that have sold. We have sold 800 more homes than we did last year, year to date. Hmm. We, will, we will exceed 2020's total volume probably by almost 1,000 single family homes and townhouse, condo. So wow. that perception versus reality and where the perception is driven is by the active listings. But if I were to show you a graph and chart that I'm using, the cyclical nature hasn't changed. Hmm, and the graph peaks and valleys for closed units hasn't changed. What has changed is the active inventory that's sitting around where four or five years ago, there might be three or 4,000 active homes. Now, I know it's December going into January, it might be at five, six, 700 total in the six county region. Sure. So things, there have been as many listings and there have been as many sales, just not carry over inventory sitting around. Things that are priced sell. Well, I'm 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 just having a hard time wrapping. I mean, it, it, I, I trust you completely. I'm just having a hard time. As you said, it's perception versus reality. And you know, the perception is that there's just not enough inventory out there, and and as a result, property values are just skyrocketing. Hundred percent. And and so. I've turned my focus from sales prices and price per square foot to units because we can't control 15, 17, 20% increases in, in sale prices. What I look underlying that are how many actual homes are selling. So if you look at the total volume of the market this year, it's exponentially bigger than last year. But the number of units, the actual homes that sold are very consistent over the last five, six, seven years. Consistency, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, so, so when you look back, well, all right, so what increase did we see in the value of property this past year? And where, and where is that coming from? So, you know, I look uh, outside our market as well, because what I think is that the Western New York markets have been insulated over the last 20 years, let's say. So post-financial crisis, uh, 08 to 2010, 
you would see a slow and steady 1% to 2 to 3% increase in average sale price year over year. But the rest of the world was eclipsing us, outpacing us. So why is Rochester, New York, sitting at $110 to $120 a square foot, where you couldn't touch a home for less than $200 a square foot in other regions? Well, I've always just assumed that it was as a result of the tax burden that we have to endure. Sure. And that's a major contributor. But again, that might even be a little perception versus reality, because it's when people now, and you've probably had clients this year, if you sold a million-dollar condo, 1,000 square feet in Hoboken, New Jersey, and then bought a house on Knollwood mm-hmm. for 800000 and you had 3,500 square feet, there's a perceived value that COVID has exposed. Oh, hmm. yes. I, I, I absolutely agree with that because we have seen a disproportionate number of people coming in from the tri-state region, sure, yeah. from larger uh, yeah. areas, just saying, and, and they're selling their one, I always talk about the $1.5 million brownstone in Brooklyn, and their cap, you know, they're walking away with $700,000 in equity, and they're plopping it down on a property three, as, as you just suggested, a property three times the size of the one that just left in New York. Right. So I think that, I still think the increases are, are um, price-based, segment-based, so uh, the the mere mortal entry level home for the first time home buyer, uh, I think we're going to have significant increases. We have seen those more. I think the higher end market is probably settling down more, as far as increases. But I'm I'm predicting that it's still going to be far more robust this coming year than it has in any year other than the one that we're we're uh, just now concluding. So, and that's a, another good segue because I, I think the, there are external factors that are going to impact 2022 that we don't fully know how much impact they're going to have. And that's everything from the Fed saying they're going to hike rates three times, right? Mm-hmm. We know that will impact buying ability, uh, home affordability, especially on the lower end. But how many cash deals did you see this year? How much True, more cash yeah. is out there that makes that irrelevant? So that's an unknown. Uh, quantitative easing, the amount of money that the mm-hmm. Fed or that the, the, the government is going to put into the economy is going to slow. Comes to an end, what, in March, I think. You know, so so uh, how much more are they going to be involved in mortgage-backed security buying where they've been overbuying? The, the, mm-hmm. the U.S. government owns almost $4 trillion in mortgage-backed securities. That was a private sector function until after 2010. Are they going to continue doing that? Are they just going to let the Fannie, Freddie, Ginnies buy what they have for the first-time home buyer or what they should be buying? Or are they going to continue to impact the private uh, industry side of it when that should be on the private, in my opinion, the private sector, which will Agreed. Yeah. move rates but to their linear regression, that, that, that equilibrium, that efficiency of a market where it might settle price increases more on the high end. It might slow down that crazy multiple offer world we've been in. And it's also the other unknown is how many agents in, in every market um, have never seen a change in, in a market, have never seen anything but what we've seen for the last five years. All right. All right. There's a lot to unpack there. So, right. so, 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 all right, so let's start with um, some of the external forces that you're talking about. And I agree that there are external forces, you know, inflation, quantitative easing, all, all those uh, increase in interest rates. I at least am thinking, forecasting, speculating that the first six months Will be the the busiest part of and the, the greater the greatest amount of activity is going to occur between January fifteenth and what uh, Memorial Day. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, or maybe even into June. Um, sure, I turn off by a couple of weeks. Yeah, and so what I normally see is, and you have as well, when 
mortgage rates start ticking up, you see a flurry of activity. And it's from both sides. You've got sellers who say, the higher rates go, the less somebody can pay for my house potentially. Yep. And then you have buyers saying, you know, especially in those lower to moderate price ranges, a lot of people, unfortunately, look at home affordability the same way they do when they lease a car. I can afford 500 a month. Yep. So if you can afford 1500 or 2000 a month, now it goes to 2250 you either have to stretch or you have to pull back on what price you can afford. Right. So I think that's going to, there's always that uptick and that'll drive that initial market activity earlier. I think uh, Easter is late this year, later, middle to late, third week of April, which is a little late. So I think it'll drive an earlier spring market. You can't see my air quotes there. If we have, we haven't really had a spring market, but I think we might have one because of the uptick in, in mortgage rates. Yeah, yeah, I, we're, we're forecasting. We're just getting ready. We're, we're meeting as a team on the 3rd of January, and we just assume that when we get back to Rochester from Aurora, New York, uh, middle of January, like just, it's, it, it's just kind of insane. So, Well, I mean, on both sides, too, for anyone listening who's a buyer, you know, based on what you're saying, Jay, is get in while you can, and for sellers, yep. get in while you can. It seems yeah. to be the overlying message here. Right. And that's, and, and one of the other data points I've been trying to communicate around the markets is if you look at the, the uh, GRA, or if you look at the statistics when they come out, the highest average sale price is generally sometime in July. Okay. So when you look at those charts, you know, inventory and um, sales are lowest in January, and they peak in July, and then they coast into the, in the fall. Now, and just, just to finish that point, but the house that's uh, closed in July didn't sell in July. When was it listed? Yeah, it was. That, that's that's in April, May. Yeah. So if if it's sixty, the average is sixty-two yeah, May, days that, listing, contract yeah. to close, and thirty days in the market is a long time. That's ninety days, but seventy to ninety days prior to when it was recorded as the highest sale is when it was listed, which begs, which gets back to that the early bird gets the highest sale price. So so, so what kind of delta exists between? Uh, say a January sale. Well, actually, no, because we're we're talking so. Uh, an offer being written in November or December versus an offer being written in April or May. What, what's the delta, you think, between uh, those prices? It's, uh, in this past year, it was over 20%. <laughs> I mean, you would. Wait, wait, now, let's go back historically. And, and again, so and so, let's just say, uh, let's break that down again because it's by price point as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, a house that would sell for one hundred and thirty thousand dollars in November might sell for one hundred and sixty thousand in April. Wow. Okay. You that's, know, that's a big number. That, that's huge. Um, and then H historically, uh, what, 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 what is what is oh, and, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, finish your thought. Because no, no. Historically, about... this year, because of the the wide swings in average sale price and active listing inventory, and low interest rates, I think it was it was a wider swing. I think we're going to see that through the first half of the year. But historically, when we're you know cruising along in that three to five percent maybe average sale price increase. That's what it is. So you you might be a, a five percent delta from uh, Christmas to May okay. in sale price, but this year was way out of whack. Still trying to wrap my head around twenty percent swings. That's yeah. Insane. So you'd see you'd see everything from uh, one hundred and forty to one hundred and eighty dollars a square foot. Forty dollars a square foot on three thousand square feet is a big number, and so we had those really wide swings this year. And some of it was urgency. Some of it was you know, I better get in. Uh, how many houses do you have that had? 30, 40 offers on them. Oh. I mean, it's... I mean, it was just, yeah. But, but but it is reminiscent, you know, uh, Corey, I think you would remember that we were 
practically begging our clients back in April and May, like, we know that you want to list in July mm-hmm. or August or September. We were begging, like, please, you know, the time. For, for, yeah. your, for your sake, we'll be putting more money into your pocket now if we get the opportunity, the privilege of listing your property pre-Memorial Day. Certainly, and if, if you can't do that, then certainly sometime in the month of, of June, but the further out you go. And, and I, I think that that's held, held out. Yeah, and, and I think setting expectations will be key. And I think there's, um, unfortunately, because of the way as wild the, as the market has acted this year, there are sellers who think they they watch too many TV shows, maybe. Let's just say that out loud, right? You know, <laughs> and, and, and they say, well, I'm going to set the price. Some agent in the market will take it at that price when I want to list it. And that's setting people up for failure. It's, the expectations just aren't there. Rather than having a seasoned professional. Yep. And listening to those, yeah. you know, uh, th- that advice, so that now's the right time. I'll I'll tell you what the right time and the right price is. And if somebody wants to pay more, that's what we'll get. But I think there's been too much throw against the wall type attitude that is well, setting was, expectations. It was it was do whatever you want there for a while, right. so right. they got used to it. But, but I, we can't quantify this arithmetically. However, you, do you have a sense, just anecdotally, whether or not the following statement is truthful? I, I'm sensing that more. Homeowners, more sellers are understanding and realizing that there are seasoned agents that have a reputation that you can trust. And then there are a lot of agents who are just newer to the market who might not be. I, I, in other words, I think that, that um, homeowners are sensing it, that, that there is a difference between agents and that it's not, as it was in the past, perhaps a wide brush stroke, that all agents are created equal. Did, did you sense that or no? No, no, 100%. And and I think if, if there was an ability to parse parse out the actual sales by listing agent, you would see a more consistent result from those people who know the market. Because I think you'll see some sellers who will go with, interview several people, but take the one who offers the highest price. Sure. And that's not reality. And that's where I think uh, this year will be a little different after we get through that first half a year flurry. A lot of this is confirming too, Mark, one thing that we keep bringing back up, and it's the the haves and the have-nots, and how it's becoming even more and more difficult to get your your first home. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah. to <laughs> if things go as you're predicting, Jay, it's only going to get harder. And then you couple that with the rising rent, which is insane right now too. Um, I just actually this morning walked with a client who wanted to rent first, and for a one bedroom, they're paying like seventeen hundred dollars a month. Wow. Um, it's insane. Have them call Adrian. We'll give yeah. it to them for sixteen hundred dollars a month. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, but, but as I keep saying, Jay, I, I've gotten to the point, and it's so contradictory, and I've got to be very careful. But I'm so genuinely concerned for first-time home buyers in particular that that I'm we're almost saying to them, yes. We understand, we realize that you're overpaying, but if you're not overpaying today, you're going to overpay next yeah. year or the year after that or the year after that. You know what? Just before interest rates go up, before any more time passes, before your ability to start paying down on a mortgage and building some equity, just buy. Just just buy your first home and get in because you don't want to find yourself 20 years from now uh, still renting. And, and so, so do you want to comment on that in any way? Well, I think the last stat I saw was 31% this year were first-time homebuyers, and that was a little low okay. uh, versus the last few years. And I think some of it was because there was pricing out of the market or fear of, I'm not, I can't, yeah. I can't go in and chase that with a mortgage commitment against all cash. And, and it, it'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, one of the, the, 
the biggest peeves I have about the industry today is the amount of single family inventory going to investors. Okay, yeah. Taking them out of the hands of those first time. Are you seeing that happening? Because I'm not seeing that happening locally, but I, I read the national journals and I see that that is definitely and absolutely a national trend. But are you sensing that that's playing out locally? I, I know it is. Wow. Uh, yeah. There, I mean, there are several people I know that own 30, 40, 50 single family homes wow. that are now rented rather than turning over in the annual inventory, which is contributing to low active inventory as well. Well, and we've been saying for the past six, nine months that until there's governmental intervention, until there is greater incentive for a developer to start building single-family homes that are particularly targeted toward first-time buyers, this is just going to continue. And until the federal, the state, uh, local municipalities, uh, or, or local county government is offering a financial incentive through tax breaks or other means, this is just going to continue. Right, and and I and I think the first step the government could could do is, for example, uh, Zillow has a deal on the table right now for nine thousand of the right. homes they bought to sell to an investment bank. Mm. Yeah, you know the ones those, they bought for way under their their estimate. Correct. Oh no, no, they, 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 yes, yeah, 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 yeah right. right. They're, you know, they're trying to sell for yes, bought at yeah. a discount, sell it as a package, and those yeah. thing, those nine thousand homes will then not return to the inventory turnover that normally happens in an in an efficient market. Wow. Looking even bigger picture here, if you if if I don't know how far out you could take a look, what do you see for the next you know say five years, three, four, five years? You know, the, the, to me that the the until we get this pandemic under control, live with it, eradicate all the any of those things that uh, no one has uh, a grasp on right now. The work from home, remote work, yeah. Um, is going to play a big part. So I think that's going to happen for the next couple of years. I think a lot of corporations have found that they can work more efficiently, more productively. Um, you hear about some of these large corporations considering going to a four-week or four-day work week even. Mm -hmm. So like, look, if you're home and, and you're an effective, productive worker, why do I have to have it come to the office? So I, now that's a separate conversation, what that does to the commercial real estate industry. Sure. But I think... Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to just jump yeah. in here. I mean, yesterday, uh, I looked at a commercial property on Monroe Avenue in Brighton uh, because I, I don't like to rent. So, you know, I currently rent the space that our staff, our team is in. And so I'd ultimately like to buy a property that we can make our own. And I'm just going to sit and wait and, and, and wait and wait and wait because the commercial market is upside down. This property is so overvalued, so overpriced. It's really? Just, Interesting. Oh, it's yeah. just ridiculous. I just know that if I wait another three or six months, this is going to come down in price and come down and come down and come down because nobody wants to buy commercial real estate today. So Right. And that's... and that. Uh, so if you, if you put in those factors of uh, work from home and how long that's going to last, I could see the current trend... Uh, favoring smaller, non, you know, look what's happening in some of the big cities, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, There's sure. so much uncertainty. Um, I think that uh, it's it's making a, a four and a half hour drive if you work in Manhattan from Rochester <laughs> yeah. more attractive. Why wouldn't I have my the, the life I want to have, and I'll I'll struggle with the drive or the flight when I need to. Sure. So I think we're going to have we're going to have in Western New York we're going to have a positive impact for the next several years for those for that reason and quality of life. You know, so it makes sense. I mean, and, and when you throw the pandemic into the mix too, just being in an area where you're not, you know, if you're in Manhattan, you're literally on top of each other. It makes perfect sense that that's how that would play out. Right. I do. I do think we're going to see a, a a flattening of price increases. I think we'll see an appreciation this year, mostly driven like we talked about in the first half of the year, and then I think it'll settle down. But I, I would, I would 
my my crystal ball tells me about eight uh, percent would be a good number this year. And, and my, my number is eleven. So yeah. we're, you know, but, but neither of us are saying eighteen, nineteen, twenty percent, no. which is yeah, okay, no. yeah, okay. Corey, you want to weigh in on that? You want to, I'm still trying to think of all the numbers that have been thrown at me currently. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's really fascinating stuff, and it, it it's been an incredibly fascinating year to say the least. Yeah, one that I'm really hoping. Well, we, well, why even bother speculating? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be stuck. We're, we're, we we are going to have another, and, and that's actually Jay. One of the things that we're talking about in this coming year, and, and I'm not sure if you're seeing it over at over at Hunt. Um, but we as a team are now starting to talk about things that we need to do in the coming year to take care of ourselves emotionally, spiritually, physically, because we can't do this coming year what it is that we did this past year, which is, you know, you rev up the engine on the 15th of January, and then you literally just collapse in the middle of October, the end of October. Right. No, that's, you're 100%, I, and you see it everywhere. And there, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many agents I've spoken to this year that say they had a, a breakdown of some sort at some point during the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, half facetiously, but half in reality. Because, sure. you know, and I think some of the things that are impacting the market, it's not that we haven't done this many transactions, and we certainly have more agents, believe it or not, and more took their licenses this year over the last pandemic, so I don't know where that's going to uh, fall out. But, but so the transaction numbers were the same, but every deal was harder. Would you agree? Well, well I, I deal mostly with sales. So, you know, I, I was uneasy. You know, like, I had, it was yes. easy. Raise but, his but, hand. But, but Corey <laughs> yeah. and the other, uh, the other buyer's agents on the team, yes, every single deal was just, and so I spent an inordinate amount of time, and thankfully these are people that I genuinely love as friends, I spent an inordinate amount of time just holding people's hands, you know, and like, you know, embracing them, you know, uh, it, it, it was difficult. Yeah, when you have 22 offers on a property and you're trying to do the right thing for your customer or yeah. client, that's mentally draining, you know? And if every deal, most deals had that type of activity, it, it it's like doing 20 times the deals, but doing the same number. Especially for me working with a lot of first-time home buyers where they walk into this not knowing anything and they walk in going, well, the list price is 150. And I'm telling them it could go to 250 and I wouldn't be shocked by that. You know, it takes several offers not getting through before they realize, oh, that's, true and, and we have to go to this point and if they can great but for some they can't and then we got to scale back where they're even starting to look right i think that may have happened or played out with you just yesterday is that is that accurate i did yes okay yes, okay yes. ever i've uh, i've looked at um not getting offers accepted not as defeats but as steps in the process yeah, yes and, so. and that's the only way you, you've got to re- yeah. you have to reframe everything mm-hmm. jay i want to go back to, to something you mentioned just a moment ago you were talking about the inordinate, the, the, just the huge increase and the number of people who are actually going out and getting their licenses and becoming real estate agents. Um, a, a few questions, if you know answers. What percentage of those are still going to be selling real estate in two years' time? And, and the other is, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of uh, the, the, the top-tier agents, the amount of business they're doing at the expense of uh, others? Right. So, Again, I would use that that same line of uh, tagline of perception versus reality. So, so many people have been home, uh, whether it's Massachusetts, Ohio, different markets I look at where, well, I'm home. It's 75 hours and a few hundred bucks. Real estate looks easy. And look at all these shows on TV. Look at yeah. all these sale prices yeah. flying off. How hard can it be to- Market's hot. Right. 
Um, and that reality then comes home to roost because um, to join a, uh, the industry at this particular time and succeed, kudos to you, right? There are some people who I, it just boggles my mind that go from zero to five or $10 million in this market. Well, Carolina Napier comes to mind. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and Great each market you'll find those, those people. And, yeah. and when, you, when you peel back the onion of that, it, these are hardworking professional people. Um, and I think that if you looked at the number of transactions, let's say in Greater Rochester Realtors Association, divided by the number of active licenses, it's a low number per person. Well, 3,100 agents are selling real estate right now. And Corey, to your, your number earlier, 500 and some properties in the market for sale. Yep. Right. How do, you, how, yeah. how do you put bread on the table? Right. And I think that drives some of that, um, some of the, the market activity, right? I think uh, a lot of those people who don't have a sphere of influence, don't have repeat and referral clients, um, try these alternative methods to capture people and mostly buyers and go empty tank after tank of gas showing 87 properties, making multiple offers, not getting where because they're not, they don't know the market. And it's, so I think training, the, the ones who are, have a background and, and take and, and absorb the training of the current market from whichever firm they, they join have a possibility of su- succeeding. But to what your second part of your question was, you see an even bigger move of percentage of transactions to the top 15%, 10% of the market agents. It's, yeah, well, yeah, okay. Um, I, I didn't even think it was 10%. Is it? I mean, you know, and you would know better than I do, but I, I mean, I really, again, 3,100 agents, I, I'm seeing a consolidation that's taking place in the top 25 teams or agents, um, more or less at the expense of everybody who's below that. And, and perhaps my, my perception is, is skewed. Well, you know, I, I look at it as, to me, you know, setting markers of uh, what's a productive agent, uh, a full-time real estate professional, to me, is someone who does maybe one, at least one transaction a month. You know, someone who's at least doing three to four million, you want to get to that where I'd say, you know, that's that's a legitimate uh, uh, income versus somebody who might be uh, part-time uh, or second income. And I think it takes that many transactions to see what's happening in the market, to understand every potential thing that could come your way and, and react and, and deliver that service uh, at a high level to a buyer or seller. So, uh, so there are people who are aspiring to that and will make it. And there are people, there's always people attritioning out. Let's not forget that the average, the uh, median age of, of realtors is approaching 60. The, the really? Me- the median age? Nationwide, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, and, and some, I, I, of, I'm only 57. <laughs> there you go. You're on the positive side. So, and, oh God. But what's happened is the, with the you know, <coughs> millennials, Gen X, Gen Zs, and all these, whatever they are, I, I don't know all the different. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of distinctions. But the, the new uh, people getting licensed are much younger. So we do need to backfill, if you will, but these people need to be educated to succeed, and, and it's, it's not easy in this market. It's interesting. There's, there's kind of a parallel between the agents and the first-time home buyers, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, there is, yeah. I, I love the newer agents for coming to the market because they are bringing a different perspective. They're bringing new technologies, new uh, thoughts uh, about how it is that the business should be transacted. And, and that, that's, that's very exciting to me. Right. And it's, it goes from in a world of yours with uh, being in the business as long as you have and multi-generational repeat and referral business, right? That's a, um, 
the only competition someone like you would have is from somebody who maybe isn't that uh, earlier looking at this as a career at a younger age and has some friends who are going to be first-time homebuyers. Yeah, I, I actually, that, that is a fun thing for me. The Dollinger family comes to mind. You know, I love their, the Dollingers are, are close friends. They're dear friends. Um, and, you know, we're in Maryland. You know, we, we've done uh, some work together. And then I've worked with two of their kids on multiple transactions, and I look forward to the day, you know, 20 years from now when I'm doing yet more transactions with their, that's that's fun to me. Yeah, and I think that, to your other point, technology has taken away the thought process of building a lasting career rather than the transactional mindset of, if I throw some money against the wall at any one of these online places to get me leads, you know, and then and you throw them over your shoulder when you're done and you don't build that repeat and referral. It sets up, I think there's a segment of the realtor population who lives on that and will die on that. I, it, it is unsustainable. Right. Um, and and it's, I think what you're saying is, you know, it's one of the mantras, you know, I think one of the reasons that our, our business just continues, I mean, you know, a 30 some percent increase in our business these past 12 months, and we can attribute almost all of that to the fact that the past few years, we are just embracing our clients. We're not interested in a transactional uh, business. We're interested in embracing these men and women and their families and and, and developing friendships that are that are long lasting and long term and and, and and they really are no longer clients. They are they, they do become friends. And that's that's from our perspective the way to do it. A hundred percent. And that's I think the consumer is now after let's call it ten to twelve years of being thrust into this, you know, and again, I'm not picking on Zillow, Zillow Realtor. I it's fine. We pick on Zillow yeah, all the time. Well, well yeah. Uh, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you don't have to. We will. <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, a home light, ideal agent, people that, people that have no true activity or risk or contribution in our market are capturing people well, it's, it's, and handing them to right. people and, and unbeknownst to the buyer or seller, like, wait a second, I thought you were the listing agent or... Mm-hmm. Wait, how am I going mm-hmm. from you to this person? Why is that? They, the, they're becoming more aware and an understanding of what this process is, which, and again, in a market as crazy as this is, I think people kind of step back and say, I'm not filling anything out because I know Mark or I know whoever I did my last transaction. I'd rather be with somebody I'm familiar with before I'm taken into this this internet world and, and Oh, yeah. Around. I mean, uh, again... It, you know, we do do some of these online leads, and I'll tell you right now, from the from the very jump, you know, building that trust is so much harder. Versus yeah. a friend of mine said, "Oh, you know, Corey's going to do a great job," sure. or yeah. you know, Mark sends a lead, and it's you know, there's they know him idea. and his reputation. Right. I mean, it's night and day. There's a natural apprehension. Right? Yeah, I don't sure. know you, yeah. and 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 now the way people want to communicate today, you know, if somebody wants to be just communicated with by text or just by email, or I'm not ready for a phone call yet or a meeting. Okay, I understand that. That's how you, you develop it until that, that, that trust or relationship is there. But I think too many look at it as pure transaction. I have 14 people in my pipeline. They are, they're not people. Yeah. And I don't think that builds a business long term. I, I, I absolutely agree. And in this day and age, as we said over and over, the past two years, people are increasingly desperate for community. And connection. Yes, people are desperate for connection, and I think that that plays into it. So, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's an interesting. It's it's a more interesting business from my perspective today than it was 15 years ago. Yeah, listen, change is the only constant. I I love that. I I I live by it, and you have to embrace it. And 
you know, that uh, somebody who says to me that, well, that's the way we've always done it. I'm like, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I just don't, you've got to be looking for it because the world changes around you. And I think that's happening to a lot of realtors. Um, it's, uh, I go back to Michael uh, Gerber and the E-Myth, 1990, 85 or 90, he wrote that book when the internet was just coming on. And he said then, technology will not replace the real estate agent, but real estate agents who use technology will replace those who don't. Right. And that's where we are right now, finding a way to utilize these things to build relationships, to get to that face-to-face, not to be purely transactional, not to think that you can uh, transact real estate buys and sells with people you're never going to meet. And if you're in that mindset, I don't think it's going to be sustainable. Well, and and we we talk about this with great frequency, but there was a point up up until this year where I would always, uh, in August, September, and October, I would figure out what was and was not working in the business, November, December, January, we would go ahead, rip apart the business, put it back together, and and, and then start the new year. Um, and that was always a great model. This year, we didn't have the privilege. Didn't have the time. Through, <laughs> through, well, well through, throughout the year, I was yeah. finding that I needed to change the way that we were conducting business and add new apps or new software or new strategies every six or eight weeks. It, it was it, it, Things were just moving forward that quickly. Yeah. And you, you better you better be agile, a- agile. Otherwise, you are not going to prevail in this market. And you see it also from the um, from the brokerage level, from whether it's national franchises, whether it's individual brokers. Um, there's so much real estate technology out there; it's it's overwhelming. And we were recently at a conference where there was a discussion about the upside down organizational chart. And what's happening in the real estate world is brokers and somebody looking to latch onto the next shiny object, push it out when there's no relevance to the people who use it, to the consumer or to the agent. So in order to to effectively get adoption and things that work, you start with the people who talk to the consumers. And you say, what do you need? What would make this transaction more Mm -hmm. uh, friendly, more easy, more Mm -hmm. fluid? And then you work it back and build and, and, and push back out. And that's, I think there has been too much I just bought a new tech company. I pushed it out to my agent, and then nobody uses it. So, and there's no benefit to the buyer, or seller, or the agent. So, I think that world is shaking itself out as well. Can you? We got a few minutes here. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the software company that you own, the software that you've developed? Well, so again, it goes back to just the the what you measure, you can manage. So, uh, I think it's in as a broker running an operation, as a team leader trying to keep a bunch of people happy. Uh, I put the focus on, um, I hate the word retention, but let's call it professional continuity. Not having to have people. It is a great spin. (laughs) If you look up, I I did this at an exercise, and if you you look at what the word retention means, it's terrible. You know, it's so, and the, and the, the synonyms and the, it's awful. So you put 50% of your time into the people you have developed and you care for, and you have to show that you're helping them develop and, and further their career. And then half of your time is looking for new people to come into your operation that fit that culture, that model, that are looking for that support. And so I usually try to coach to that balance. And you use the software to look at those numbers, to pay attention, especially today, delivering value remotely, because we don't see as many people coming in and out of offices. There are models out there that are purely virtual, you said it earlier, people want community, people want communication, people want interaction. So to be the first one to acknowledge things that are happening within the people that are already working with you before somebody else does, or to then do the same thing to people that are, you, you are, are looking to that think would be a good fit for your team, to be paying attention and offering them the same consultation you would as if they were with you already. So it's being a good citizen within the market because not everyone's going to come. 
But if you're helping somebody become a better realtor because you already see it in them, whether they join you or not, that's a long-term relationship and you're making the industry better because that's, to me, and I hate to say we look like used car salespeople and not that they're bad people, but because right now their used car sales are pretty strong, but the, the, the overall consumer perception of what we do is only as good as the weakest link. So I'm a believer, which is why I'm here, not that you need help, but if there's people out there listening that, you know, to become a better realtor helps us all in the long run. Completely agree. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. You said 50% of your time is spent. I mean, I've got to say that 97% of my time is spent deal, uh, uh, working with the team and just making sure that everybody's in a really, really great, because we do very, very, very little recruiting. Um, you know, we might bring a new agent on every two or three years, but I, I but I, I would love, and I want to, as soon as that uh, software package is available to a schmo like me, um, I, <laughs> I, I would be very, very interested in looking at it because you know, it, it may not help in terms of recruiting, but I think just having a really great sense as to what the trends are and who's sure. on the upswing and, oh, so-and-so has, you know, risen considerably this past year. I wonder what it is that they're doing. And think about it as a team. And when I say 50%, it's it's... If you run a, a large brokerage with a single office brokerage or you run an office for a big company and you're doing 500 transactions a year, let's say 250 were your listings, there's 250 other agents who are interacting. So when I say that 50%, that's helping them throughout those deals. Yeah. That's helping your people successfully close transactions by helping the people on the other side by offering the services they might not have where they are. So that's like, so it's it's almost like a, it's 100%. But if you look at it really fine-tune it, it's 50-50 because you're helping your people get their stuff done, but you're also helping the people help your people sure, get things sure, done. Sure. So it's really a neat, I think, a benefit to the industry. That's awesome. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, Indeed. thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. So, so truly, is, yeah. is this where we do the uh, the sing-along? Yeah, yes. Uh, Kumbaya. Oh, no. no, no Grissom's no, carols. Break, right. yeah. Yeah. My, my, my mic is breaking <laughs> up. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> you, you promised uh, your rendition of Silent Night. Right. I, I, I could do it a little bit in German. I do a Stille Nacht. Real, really? Wow. <laughs> you can't just throw these things out. From Kinesis, four years of German. There you go. <laughs> wow. Wow. And O Tannenbaum? Can you do that in German? No, no. No? Okay. No. All right. One trick pony here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, are, are you, are you, Corey, are you ready? Uh, I, I, I can't carry a tune I, for the life of me. No, no, no. But no. Are you ready for Christmas? Because as, oh. as we're recording this, we're two days yes. shy of yep. Christmas Eve, mm -hmm. three days shy of Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. um, you're ready? Um, well, my wife sent me a text this morning of something that she would like for Christmas. And I said, sure, when I sell that um, $800,000 lake house, then I'll be happy to get that for you. Wow. Uh, up until now, we're, we're going to pump do, breaks in this one. Do you want, do you want to disclose? Oh, actually, actually, no. Um, I, I would imagine it's probably uh, something from Cornell's or uh, Mann's. Uh, in fact, it is from Gucci, um, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it is uh, a plastic bag would also do the same function, which always blows my mind. I'm claiming supply chain issues. <laughs> I don't know. There's a real leather shortage going on right now. If you, know, you know about that or not? That's yeah. great. Uh, but no, yes, yes. Ready to roll. Good to go. My the folks, kids are ready? My folks are coming in oh, uh, on Friday, so that's going to be fun. Um, so yeah, we'll have uh, the big family Christmas. No, that's great. How about you guys? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I literally just came from um, buying a gift certificate for Duffy. Um, yeah. So we're good. I'll, yeah. yeah oh. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing really well here. <laughs> right. So Jay, are you ready? All ready. Yeah. Trees up. Presents are being wrapped. Yeah. Kids are home. Everything's good. Well, actually, speaking of trees, so if you do get the opportunity, Ooh, those yes. who are listening, yeah. um, ch check out my Facebook page, um, Mark Sewick. 
there's a video um, that, that we've been doing a lot of video of late, and it's a one-minute video, and it's this Christmas tree that Duffy decorates every year. It's a poor man's tree, otherwise known as an edible tree. Everything on the tree is something that you can consume, and, and I swear to God, it is, I mean, there's Rockefeller Center, and, 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 and then there is this alpine fir sitting in the living room at 80 Westminster in the city of Rochester. 1A, 1B. It, yeah. it is, I'm telling you, it, it, it is just spectacular. So if you're interested, uh, check out my video on, on the Facebook page. It really is beautiful. I don't think anything explains the patience of Duffy quite like the fact that he's literally putting popcorn through a needle and thread. In cranberries for an entire week. I mean, li- literally, um, hours wow. every day. It's it's just. Um, I mean, as I said to somebody the other day, I may have said it on this. There's just not enough Ritalin um, uh, that, that, that would allow me to get through that. There'd that, be blood. That there would definitely be blood. Oh yeah, no two ways about sure. it. So anyway, well check that out. You could uh, always search out the team Mark Seawick. Uh, you can just go to markseawick.com. It's the uh, easiest place to go. Jay, thank you again. This has been really fun. Thanks for having Jay, me. Jay, we we, we are definitely going to want to uh, have you back. Um, it's always great. And I'm. I'm Truly grateful for the friendship after all these many years. Same here. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, bud. All right. Thanks again for listening to Open House with Mark Seawick and Corey James Martin.